Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Welcome back and welcome to those of you just joining us for World Food Day 2020, brought to you by Global Minnesota and our program partners, the World uh, Council of, of uh, the World, um, World Affairs Council of America and World Food Program, the U.S. office. My name is Mark Ritchie. I have the honor of serving as president of Global Minnesota and host for today. I want to remind you that um, today's program is free for everybody all over the world, hundreds of people on and participating. Uh, but we also urge you, if you can, to use one of the tools that we provided to be able to make a contribution to help people who are hungry, who are facing food insecurity now. A couple links on our website when you registered there for the World Food Program on a global basis, Second Harvest Heartland, more local, but whatever in your community or a food bank or a kitchen or whatever it might be. It's just a reminder that one of the things that we're learning today, and I think some of us know this already, is that um, hunger is um, a chronic condition right at this moment in many lives, but it's also an emergency situation in so many lives because of the COVID pandemic, the economic dislocation, and wherever there is civil and military conflict, we know there are refugees, people flee. Where there's outbreaks and pandemics, people are forced to free human rights violations, hurricanes, tornadoes, you name it, all kinds of things happen. And people are placed in need. And we as a community have always responded. So that's another opportunity today. We're able to bring this program because we have uh, so much generosity um, through our members and through the sponsors for today. Um, the Hormel Foods Company, McKnight Foundation, Regenerative Agriculture Foundation, King Solution, Blue Cross Blue Shield and Greater MSP, and our members, those of you who support us year after year, you make this possible. And for those of you watching, if you'd like to become a member, we have a generous supporter who's gonna double all of the new memberships that come in today. So there's a little link below the YouTube uh, screen description. It'll take you to our website or just go to the website. You'll get a chance to see some of the other programs we've done during this World Food Month and also see the kinds of things that your support as a member can help make possible for others around the world. It's my great pleasure to bring this next panel up. Uh, it was uh, often in this day, people kept talking about regenerative agriculture and throwing it around, but we have assembled the experts around the planet and the head, the executive director of the Regenerative Agriculture Foundation, Mark Muller, who for many years ran the program at our local McKnight Foundation, protecting the Mississippi River, the watershed, the land, the landscape. Mark Muller, thank you so much for joining us today, for putting this amazing panel together, and I pass the microphone to you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. And wishing all of you a happy and enlightening World Food Day. And really, thank you to Global Minnesota for creating such a, such a great online event. So the Regenerative Agriculture Foundation has been around for about four years as an intermediary funder that regrants funds in order to advance regenerative agriculture. 
Now, as you heard from the Embold Coalition and the other wonderful speakers, there is remarkable work happening in Minnesota and beyond to drive regenerative agriculture practices, build new supply chains, and create new markets for environmental services. At RAF, we wholeheartedly endorse these efforts, and we see our role as adding an and to the conversation. We strongly advocate for corporate actions that reward farmers for carbon sequestering practices, and we recognize that the climate crisis also requires bold transformational efforts. We celebrate each step that a farmer makes towards regeneration, and we see that regenerative relationships need to be built throughout the entire food chain. We appreciate the research and development advances in our universities and corporations, and we see so much wisdom and opportunity through traditional ecological knowledge and the creativity of small landholders that are too often ignored by our white dominant culture. I'm really honored to have four friends and colleagues that will help us tell the story. We will start with today, Romero Briones from the First Nations Development Institute. And then we have Hailey Johnston from Common Market, Jane Mallon Katie from the McKnight Foundation, and Lauren Baker from the Global Alliance for the Future of Food. So without further ado, I will turn it over now to Ade. Thank you, Ade. Um, happy World Food Day to everyone out there in internet land. Um, thank you so much, Mark, for having me this morning. And thank you to Global Minnesota for inviting First Nations development into the conversation. Um, and I thank you, audience, for being patient with me. We were just discussing the flow of the workshop, and I find I always it's always funky when we're moving with technology. So I'm going to be speaking to you today. I don't have a PowerPoint. And with that, um, please open your ears and your heart. And um, any thoughts that may come today, we welcome you to, us, to this space and to really um, ground yourself in the words of our wonderful speakers. And again, I'm honored to be one of those speakers. I'm Kaiwen Kochiti, and I work for First Nations Development Institute, and I do want to recognize the over 50 different projects that are happening in Minnesota that we fund around food. Um, there's incredible work around food sovereignty and traditional ecological systems and hemp and indigenous fibers happening in Minnesota. And if you wanna know what some of those projects are, please visit firstnations.org. And we have a whole list of Minnesota projects that are pretty exciting and that I'm personally excited about. Um, if it, I think the Regenerative Ag Foundation and First Nations um, are very similar in that we're granting intermediaries. So our focus is primarily on and only on indigenous, indigenous led projects in tribal communities. Um, we have, I run the Native Agriculture and Food Systems Initiative, which has been in existence since um, 2012. We are one of the largest funders of indigenous food and agriculture in the country, second only to the Native Agriculture Fund, which just started two years ago. If you're not familiar with um, indigenous food projects and indigenous communities, again, visit us at First Nations. There's, we have a whole array of like 101s and how to get involved and 
projects. You can search our database for projects that are close to you. But today our discussion is focusing on regenerative agriculture. And I have to say, I'm completely honest with everyone um, in the audience, you know, I, I wasn't really involved in the area of regenerative agriculture um, maybe two years ago, you know, I felt like it was a new term, like this was a new term we had to use. Regenerative agriculture started being thrown around and I didn't really understand the full complexities of the study. Um, and this is where the indigenous perspective comes in really because when we're talking about indigenous food and agriculture projects, we're talking about communities who have most likely lived in their home base for hundreds, if not thousands of years, numerous generations. And so um, terminologies like sustainable agriculture, regenerative agriculture, even traditional ecological knowledge are terminologies not really formed by indigenous people, but used to describe what they see in the community. And with that being said, when a new term about food systems comes up, um, I'm always scrambling to, to learn what it means. But when regenerative agriculture really started taking hold in um, many of the philanthropic or the food circles that, ended, that First Nations is a part of, we really had to pause and think about this new term that was now being used to describe production systems that very much mirrored some of the traditional ecological knowledge that many of the indigenous communities we work with were being practiced. Um, and so I'm just, for, for me, for those who don't know, traditional ecological knowledge kind of refers to the indigenous practices of a given community. And let me just give you two things to remember. One, indigenous communities have probably lived and breathed and worked and created institutions in the lands that they now occupy, whether that be white earth, whether that be Cochiti, even if, the, even if you, they've been removed from their traditional homelands to other lands, they, they carry a body of knowledge on how to interact in relationship with those lands that formed them as people, as formed them as community. And so when we think about being attached to a body of land for generations upon generations, we had to ensure that the systems were regenerative. We had to ensure that our communities were in balance with the carrying capacity of the land and the resources around us. And so in, in that way, our systems were um, almost guaranteed to be regenerative. So when we're talking about regenerative agriculture to indigenous communities, it's almost a given. It's, it's like a, it's like a non-descriptor because that's we were forced to, to develop those systems based on the longevity of our occupation of those lands. When we talk about regenerative agriculture in a mainstream context, it's a different conversation because we're talking about how to alter production practices that um, are meant to mend some of the more destructive uh, practices that predate regenerative agriculture. And so the conversation doesn't always meet, but it, it, it's coming, there's a different perspective when we're engaging around regenerative agriculture with indigenous communities. And so really the, the point 
that I think I'm trying to make law with lots of words <laughs> is that regenerative agriculture is, is being introduced at a time and a place when we're building upon other errors, eras of agriculture, right? So when regenerative agriculture makes its way around the current food system audience, um, there's already established understandings that exist prior to the terminology. And so those terminologies, whether it be sustainable agriculture, whether it be um, agriculture in general, um, most often don't include indigenous people. Now we hear the term traditional ecological knowledge um, and traditional ecological knowledge is, is but like the door, like you have to open the door to really understand what that means because many of those knowledge bodies are attached to the lands and peoples of specific locales. So you're real, it's like a hypersensitive production system that is very much tailored to the personality and the char characteristics of a people in the land. So when we say traditional ecological knowledge, we're really talking about the door that we then have to enter um, in order to really understand what traditional ecological means and, and understand how that interplays with how we discuss regenerative agriculture. All that being said, um, we're talking about terminologies and areas of study but when it comes down to it, we're talking, we're, we're, as our presenter said, we're really talking about food systems that serve the people and serve our lands. When we think about food from an indigenous perspective, food is everything, right? Food is the indicator that tells us whether our society is healthy or not healthy. Food is the indicator that tells us whether our environment is healthy or unhealthy because we're, we have mirrored or paralleled existence. And when we see hunger, that means that there's an inefficiency in the system. And the less attached we are to the lands and the food, the, the, the lo longer the distance our food has to travel from the lands, the less skills we have to read those indicators, the less ability a people has to say, hey, you know what, there's people hungry, there's an inefficiency in our, in whether it's our distribution system, whether it's in our environmental system, whether it's in our production system. So in an indigenous community, food is everything. Food is how we determine the health of our community, which is very much a concept in regenerative agriculture, where we ask, is our soil healthy? Is our water healthy? Are our people healthy? Are our production systems producing enough to feed the people? And so there's a lot of parallels in regenerative agriculture and indigenous communities, but a lot more has to be explored. And there's a lot at stake. When we think about what's happening in our country with social unrest, when we think about what's happening with um, supply chain deficiencies, uh, we have to remember that these are built on systems, one that don't include a lot of people in this country, including indigenous people, and regenerative agriculture is really offering an opportunity to start including those people. And I think the Regenerative Ag Foundation as a leader in this space um, has, has, has ample tools and webinars 
that talk about the very intimate conversations around inclusion. Um, and again, I, I don't use the word equity because I really don't have a full understanding of what an equitable food system would look like in America. I think that's something that we have to all explore together to really understand what that may mean. And I think the, the some of the speakers coming after me have very great examples of really a healthy regenerative food system. And my job today was only to remind people to include indigenous people in the conversations about regenerative agriculture and the future, future of our food systems. And to remember that food is everything and that when we have hungry people, when we have food costs that people cannot afford, that those are inefficiencies in our system that we, we are responsible to correct somehow. And so, um, Thank you again for, for having me. I, I, I'm very thankful to be with you all in Minnesota and particularly on the World Food Day. And I thank Mark for having me and I look forward to more conversations in the future. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Aday. That, that was wonderful. And every time I hear you speak, you always remind me of how regenerative agriculture is both talking about practices and it's also a philosophy and a, a, a way of inclusiveness and a vision for the future. And, and we need to encompass all of those things. So I think that's a great way of starting this conversation. Appreciate it. Thank now, you. Uh, thank you. Uh, now, now to Haile Johnson with the Common Market, which has been a remarkable uh, vehicle for connecting farmers and consumers and has done great work starting in Philadelphia and now all over the country. So pass it over to Haile. Thank you, Mark. <clears throat> and uh, happy World Food Day to everyone. It's, as you can imagine, a blessing and an honor to be able to speak after a day and reflect on her wisdom and the wisdom, uh, the generational wisdom of uh, our indigenous brothers and sisters. So thank you, Aday, for your comments. And again, thank you, Mark, for the opportunity to share a little bit about our story. And, uh, you know, it, reflecting on Aday's words, um, you know, I, I began to think about how, uh, my family ultimately comes to, into the conversation of regenerative agriculture in part, um, you know, looking for some degree of inclusion, but more, um, I think more directly looking to build some degree of community power. Um, and, you know, it's been a process um, in response of, um, you know, food insecurity within our own community and a need for uh, both sustenance and resilience um, and then, especially now, uh, in consideration of, of climate change and the way um, climate is affecting um, communities' abilities to feed itself, as well as uh, farmers' abilities to remain viable in markets. Um, and so, let me first say also, <laughs> my name is Haile Johnston, as Mark shared. Um, I'm a co-founder and co-director of an organization called The Common Market. Uh, it was founded in a little community uh, called Strawberry Mansion in Philadelphia um, in conversation about 15 years ago um, and really thinking through how we as a community could take um, greater control of the quality um, of food that was coming into our community. Um, this was after uh, my wife and I, Tatiana, spent years uh, with our hands in the soil and soils being generous. Sometimes it was brick and rubble and uh, and uh, vacant lots in our in our um, in our neighborhood, working with youth 
um, to, to build a healthier community. And it was uh, interestingly that I think more than anything, the wisdom of youth that um, and, the, and the energy of youth that brought uh, us in. Um, and as we learn more and more about the struggles of their families and honestly our own families as, as it relates to diet related disease, we, um, we became compelled to think um, bigger and beyond just the boundaries of our own neighborhood to how we could affect uh, local food systems that could bring about a greater degree of food sovereignty for us um, as a community um, in partnership with uh, allied communities around, around our city, um, as well as in partnership with uh, small and mid-scale family farms who had been stewards uh, of their land for several generations. Um, it was by looking at the fact that our, our global food system had evolved um, and beginning to see what the effects of cheap food had become on our own community. And really um, working with my neighbors again, uh, understanding how cheap food um, comes about because of exploitation. Um, and ultimately it's exploitation of labor, it's exploitation of farmers and farm workers, it's exploitation of the land and the earth. So all of this exploitation, externalized costs, deliver low quality, low cost food into low income neighborhoods that produce um, horrible health outcomes. And so um, the evolution of the common market, this vision for how we take greater control of our food system was kind of, I'm gonna say, our foray into the conversation of regenerative agriculture. Although I, I would say that at the time, we didn't know that that's what it was called. We just knew that there was a need to find ways to preserve um, agricultural land in our region. Um, when what we were seeing at the time in particular was countless farms all around um, the, uh, the, the um, rural uh, ring uh, and the suburbs of Philadelphia, um, agricultural land um, being bulldozed, flattened, and where houses were being built. And our perception was that made no sense that those farmers couldn't, couldn't generate sufficient income through their toil um, to feed their families and, and justify their, their activity when right down the road you had communities like ours that were struggling to access good food. Um, and so the vision for the common market came about as a means of connecting these two communities. Um, again, overcoming what had become this you know, globalized system for food, uh, preferencing uh, cheap, preferencing a lack of transparency um, and not lifting up um, any other values beyond price. Um, and building new forms of relationships across geography, across race, across class, um, across political ideology uh, in ways that could be mutually beneficial uh, for urban and rural residents um, and build health and wealth for our community. So um, we did this, you know, we started doing again, you know, um, trading food with folks, uh, you know, an age old. <laughs> An age-old occupation. We we just we we knew that if if we brought a degree of fairness and conversation and openness, transparency to conversations around food, that we could build a model that could potentially stain both urban and rural communities who wanted better for um, each other and and for each other's uh, people. Um, and so, about 12 years ago, after a, you know meaningful planning process, um, we began doing just that. We began moving food 
And what we recognized was that there was particularly an opportunity within anchor institutions uh, to create new market opportunities for these farmers, as well as the opportunity to reach more food insecure people um, just by the scale of, of the work that they were doing. Um, the other thing with anchors that appealed to us was that they were community and they are community based. They are placed and they are mission driven organizations that exist to serve better outcomes for, for the communities um, where they are. And so we saw within that mission alignment, the opportunity to better communicate and introduce again, a degree of transparency in the production practices of these farmers. Farmers who um, understood that, and, and the, you know, more of the language that we use then and even still now related to agroecology, but ecological um, growing practices that were more restorative to the earth, that built soil, that, present, that prevented the runoff um, of chemicals and, and uh, soil into our, our local waterways. Um, lifting up these practices and telling the stories of these farmers and differentiating their activities within these values aligned organizational partners and these anchor institutions created better market opportunities for the farmers and again greater access for communities like mine. Um, the work that we did of course didn't only exist uh, uh, in anchor institutions though that is a primary um, lever for change in our work. We also work very deeply with community-based organizations, being a facilitator of the kind of food sovereignty um, that folks are looking for today, akin to what we were looking for as, um, as you know, again, the little, little neighborhood of Strawberry Mansion uh, when we first began this conversation. Um, so this work continues and it's grown significantly. And, and you know, as, as, you, um, as, I, as I begin to share a little more of the, of the story of how we came together, it became about building um, regional food infrastructure that is values driven. Um, again, that, that continues to be grounded in, um, in values, continues to be grounded in transparency and mutuality um, and, um, and, and bringing communities together. Um, so after, after the, all of this time, <laughs> you know, and after engaging um, you know, many institutions and farmers through the years, we have found the way to build this infrastructure and actually make it work across a number of different geographies. So um, while we were founded in Philadelphia and demonstrated this model here, um, that work in the mid-Atlantic has grown uh, to include communities between New York and Virginia. Um, we've replicated this model in partnership with, uh, with uh, local folks in Atlanta, Georgia, um, also working in, um, in Alabama and then more recently expanded to, tech, to Houston, Texas to do this work. And again, um, recreating uh, this model for mutuality um, and transparency and values-driven relationships, levering markets for change. Um, from our perspective, and as we've begun to learn more about regenerative agriculture, for us, um, it has been, um, you know, for us, it needs to continue to be grounded um, in this notion of uh, community resilience and sustainability and equitable access, um, and at the same time, understanding more about the science. Um, for us, um, what we're trying to do, uh, I think, um, in, you know, in age-old traditions, uh, we're, we're trying to be facilitators and storytellers. And for us to be able to, to tell the story of our partners, uh, the story of impact, um, needs to transcend um, Needs, needs to transcend the story alone and needs to be quantifiable to some degree. And so 
part of our quest has been to begin to understand the science more, uh, the quantitative the quantitative impact that goes along with the significant qualitative impact that we know the work that we're doing, engaging family farms and um, and uh, food insecure communities, um, and and for us what that needs needs to needs to continue to look like. So as we evolve, um, and I think we're all in a place of needing to evolve right now in response to. Um, uh, global, uh, not just global climate change and the impacts of climate on food, um, but different kinds of natural disaster. And when we look at COVID-19, COVID-19 is very much um, a form of natural disaster. Um, we're thinking about how we um, pivot our work um, to continue to, um, I think, uh, have impact. <laughs> of course, we're all seeking impact, but in particular, how we pivot our work to affect deeper, deeper levels of change um, as an organization in partnership with these many communities. And, and um, one, I, I think for us, it, it needs to continue to be grounded in the notion of, of community resiliency. Um, we have been looking to our many community partners to think about new, mar um, new models uh, for community food sovereignty um, and equitable access. Um, it, no longer can we just simply rely on the supermarket to come and serve us or um, even, um, you know, again, within our model of institutional engagement, we can't even rely on our institutions to be open anymore to serve many of the community needs. So really thinking about how we build community power and resiliency in the face of um, natural disaster and, and, uh, and, and climate change. Um, so partnering deeply uh, to understand how we can, again, uh, be a, a facilitator of change in partnership with local, local communities. Um, second, I want to lift up farmer engagement as a key component. Um, for us, as we're, um, I think, deepening our exploration into how we can lever um, ecological agriculture um, for, for the benefit of farmers and for the benefit of environment, um, I think what we're finding is our model is really effective at creating market opportunity. And ultimately, farmers are businesses, and farms are businesses, I should say. And if there is not a, a market benefit for um, pursuing uh, different practices, and you know, for us, again, trying to encourage uh, movement along a spectrum toward regenerative production, um, if there's not a market incentive for doing more, um, many farmers are going to struggle to actually do anything different. Um, Farmers are amazing in their, in their own resiliency and, and their ability to adapt um, and to withstand uh, challenge. Um, and what we have found where the greatest amount of change can occur is when we're also creating different kinds of incentives uh, for that change. So financial incentives for um, increased market opportunity, um, but also understanding that it takes investment sometimes to make the changes toward more ecological practices and for, for the common market for us to play a role in, um, in channeling uh, resources to support our farmers to make these changes. Um, the, third, the third lever that we're pursuing currently relates to continued um, anchor institutional engagement. Um, you know, while I mentioned that, you know, while we can't rely on the anchors to play the role that we have relied on um, uh, them playing historically, uh, they continue to be um, incredibly important partners, um, both from a market perspective as well as from a community access perspective. And just like we as an organization have had to pivot our service 
um, they have two. And the model for food service, the model for wanting to support ecological agriculture and higher and, and food produced with higher production values has changed. The budgets for doing that have changed. And, and we're trying to work with our anchor partners to understand what these new models are and how we can adapt and how um, our supply chain can adapt to continue to meet community need through those venues and, and, um, and also in partnership with them and their, and their vast resources. Um, so, and finally, and, you know, you, you probably see many cross currents across these four, um, these four levers, but finally we're looking to policy. Um, we as an organization, I think, have a fairly unique um, lived experience engaging um, uh, communities, um, both urban and rural, across the entire eastern seaboard in transformative uh, market relationships. And so we have, um, within our constituency, we have farmers, we have community organizers, we have um, policy leaders um, stretching from uh, New York all, all the way to Texas. And um, I think that we, um, within this, this group of partners, um, we have some fairly unique stories to tell, stories of impact, um, and in particular within policy and how we reorient our farm and food policy in this country to support um, practices, um, to subsidize activities that are actually for the better health and well-being of our environment and our human, um, our, 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 um, our human beings in this country. So. Um, that, uh, I think, is where I would, uh, I will pass it back to Mark. Um, I, and I just want to note, um, we, we continue to be excited about opportunities for partnership in all the markets where we work and beyond, really thinking through how we lever market relationship for change, how we get um, people within um, procurement positions, whether they be individuals in the supermarket, or, or, the, or the lunch lady, <laughs> how, we, how we support them in making a transition um, and shifting their resources to support agriculture that feeds, um, feeds our, our souls um, and uh, restores, restores our environment. Thanks, Mark. Great, thank you, Haile. I, um, I love the term you use, mutuality. I think it describes you and your work so well. And I see what you do as a bridge between all these different communities and lifting everyone up to be so powerful. So thank you for that work. Oh, thank you. All right, now moving on, we're gonna have um, both of these speakers together. Uh, Jane Mail and Katie and Lauren Baker are next one to speak. So Jane at the McKnight Foundation, uh, director of the international programs, including CCRP, the Collaborative Crop Research Program, which is amazing international work. Uh, and McKnight is a key component of the Global Alliance for the Future of Food. And so that's why they're kind of integrated together. So I'm gonna kick it off to you, Jane, thanks so much. Thanks, Mark. You can hear me okay. Yes. Yeah, so greetings, everybody. As a lifelong Minnesotan from an agriculture family and working throughout my career in food and agriculture, I'm really pleased to be with everybody here on World Food Day, uh, Minnesota style, celebrating the 75th anniversary of the UN's Food and Ag Organization. I want to thank Global Minnesota. Uh, obviously, it's a been a great day, and to Mark Muller for organizing this panel. I'm just in awe um, of everybody who's spoken so far, I think, and I know what's to come. And I think each one of you is a leading example of the kind of critical food systems work that is needed now for an equitable and regenerative future. 
Uh, McKnight is a fourth generation family foundation. We're based in Minneapolis and our mission is to advance a more just, creative and abundant future where people and planet thrive. And I just wanted to take a few minutes to share some lessons we've learned as a global agriculture research funder before I introduce you to Lauren. Uh, the CCRP, which is what we call the Collaborative Crop Research Program, our mission is to ensure a world where everyone has access to nutritious food produced sustainably by local people. We strive to reduce hunger, care for the planet, and promote equity by supporting agroecological research and regenerative practices, while also advancing social and institutional capacities that foster collaboration between researchers and leaders in farming and food systems communities. The program is rooted in a plant biology research program, which began in the early 1980s to address global hunger challenges of the time. Over these years, we've learned a lot. We've adapted our work uh, to include the support of next generation researchers and farmer leaders, along with uh, using more collaborative place-based holistic research approaches. This uh, resulted in the creation of CCRP in the 1990s and ultimately to the current model, working in three communities of practice in 10 countries in hunger-challenged regions of those countries in the high Andes and Africa. Uh, through these years, we've also witnessed systems of a food system out of balance, hunger, poverty, soil decline, climate change, biodiversity loss, public health crises, and more. Uh, this led us to focus our research on addressing agroecological and regenerative approaches to soil health, agrobiodiversity, ecological pest and disease management, and farmer-centered research, among other. And over that time, we've seen agroecological and regenerative food systems bring balance and abundance to people in our planet, and a growing body of diverse evidence supports our own, and we just heard two great examples. <laughs> We have heard consistently from other speakers today about the profound and systemic challenges we're facing on this World Food Day with growing hunger, environmental challenges, public health crises, concentration of wealth within the food system. And we have also seen examples, and we will see more, of food systems that are working and that have worked for generations and that show promise for even greater expansion. So, I think it's really important to say that we know that how we build our food systems and food economies make a difference. The way that we grow, the way we process, package, transport, eat, research, teach about, talk about, and dispose of food affects our global climate, our social structures, cultural preservation and vibrancy and economic models. Uh, we know that the industrialized agriculture system approach is extremely productive, yet many have called it sustainability into question, many today, noting high environmental and social costs, such as producing 21 to 37% of greenhouse gas emissions. So agroecological and regenerative practices and indigenous food waste help heal the environment, working with the flow of natural systems and are a key to combating climate change. They prioritize local cultures and traditions and aid in the restoring the balance of wealth, gender, power, access, and I, that list could go on. It, within CCRP, we often visualize our work in agricultural research with an infinity symbol, 
which represents a dynamic and continuous flow and balance that we, we aim for. And agroecological and regenerative research and practice rely on this flow of knowledge between researchers, smallholder farmers, indigenous communities, uh, local farmers and anchor institutions, as we've just heard, and also utilize the flow between plants, animals, and other natural synergies. And this happens at local, national, regional, and global levels. Now, just today, I've received or read numerous reports, blogs, and statements acknowledging the importance and the imperative of a food systems transformation that is equitable and regenerative and calling out really for more of approaches that are regenerative and ecologically centered and inspired by indigenous wisdom. Yet, despite that awareness and that calling out, agroecology and regenerative agriculture um, re are consistently underfunded. Recent research reports, a variety of them, show that across the globe, the most common range of support for agricultural research and development is between two and 15% of agriculture budgets. Um, there is an opportunity, there's a great need to increase public research for public good, focusing on these regenerative and agroecological agri and indigenous foodways approaches. We also uh, believe that researchers, business analysts, and policymakers, and those who fund them should prioritize holistic shared true cost accounting frameworks, such as TEAB, the TEAB, um, you might hear a little bit about that shortly, but that they calculate worth beyond the limiting metrics of productivity and a single focus on yield to look at the real impacts across natural and social environments. It's a critical time for our planet. We've heard that throughout today. I've also heard recognition of the importance of collaboration, systems perspectives, inclusion, and collective tackling of the profound challenges we're facing today on this planet. That perspective is one that lives at the heart of McKnight's Collaborative Crop Research Program. Um, it inspired our involvement in the formation of and engagement with the Global Alliance for the Future of Food. Together, we bring our learnings from local communities in 10 countries around the globe with other agriculture and food systems funders to creatively move towards more equitable and resilient food systems in Minnesota, USA, and around the globe. So with that, I'm pleased now to introduce Lauren Baker, who's Director of Programs for the Global Alliance for the Future of Food. Thanks, Lauren, and thanks, Mark. Thanks so much, Jane, and uh, hello, everyone tuning in from across Minnesota and beyond. It's a real honor to participate in this amazing panel and virtual event. Uh, thanks to Global Minnesota and the Regenerative Agriculture Foundation for organizing this discussion. It's uh, been really inspiring to listen to all of your comments so far. I'm Lauren Baker, Director of Programs for the Global Alliance for the Future of Food, a strategic alliance of philanthropic foundations working towards food systems transformation. I'm based in Toronto, so I'm sitting in my dining room and kitchen uh, just to the north of uh, those of you in Minnesota. Um, I really deeply appreciate the different entry points and perspectives on regenerative agriculture reflected on this panel. After listening to Ade, Hailey, Jane, uh, and Mark uh, speak, I'm deeply hopeful for the future of our food system. And, um, you know, each of them in their own way has painted a picture of the future of food that is renewable, resilient, equitable, diverse, healthy, inclusive, and interconnected. 
These are the Global Alliance's principles for a sustainable food system. Um, when taken together, these principles help us, um, help us to see the whole system in necessary and powerful new ways and to make choices about the future of our shared food systems so we avoid um, you know, these kind of siloed approaches and unattended consequences that, that we've heard about and also um, avoid limited, narrow, short-term solutions. Um, you know, I've been listening into uh, World Food Day events um, you know, on Twitter and, and on social media and, and, and different events um, through the day. And really at the global level, of course, there is general consensus that transformational change is needed. And I wanted to highlight, like, like Jane, um, I've been reading some of the materials that have been, and reports that have been released today. And I wanna highlight one that I was um, really honored to be a part of, uh, launched by colleagues in Germany uh, and this report emphasizes the need uh, to innovate adaptation to climate change via agroecology and regenerative agriculture. Um, it outlines how in order to be innovative, adaptation efforts must respond to the systemic challenges posed by climate change to our food system and highly, um, uh, really highlighted this um, a few minutes ago. Um, it illustrates how diverse ecological and regenerative agriculture systems are less vulnerable to um, extreme climactic events and climate variability. Um, but most importantly for our conversation today, uh, the report demonstrates that to strengthen the adaptive capacity of rural communities and livelihoods, it's necessary to pair you know, the associated kind of technological innovations and improvements in agricultural practices with investments in, in social capital. So the kind of co-creation of knowledge with farmers that Jane um, just described, um, that this, you know, in, in, her, in the approach that the CCRP program takes. The new marketing networks um, and new market mechanisms that highly just um, described in the approach that Common Market takes and um, the responsible governance of the land and uh, our ecological um, environment that a day so beautifully described um, and that indigenous peoples have held and stewarded uh, over uh, generations. Um, also, uh, the report highlights uh, what Jane just mentioned around the need for integrated measurement approaches. So taking us kind of beyond yield, um, this focus on yield and using true cost accounting to really capture all of the factors that contribute to climate resilient food systems. So um, uh, what's really interesting about this report is it, it brought a whole bunch of people together um, to compile the evidence for agroecology and ecological regenerative approaches. And I just wanted to highlight the kind of connection to the conversation today. COVID-19 has presented the world with a moment of reckoning. Um, and I think we're all deeply aware of this. So what can we learn right now about food systems resilience um, in this moment of a kind of global public health uh, crisis that's compounded by historic legacies of structural inequalities and racism? What do the conflicting signs of fragility and strength, vulnerability and resilience tell us about the future of food? Uh, these impacts are experienced unequally across the globe and between different groups of people in different places, um, as we've heard, with the burden placed on the most vulnerable um, 
uh, people in our communities. While many people and businesses and organizations are struggling with the far-reaching impacts of the pandemic, um, at the Global Alliance, we've been really inspired by how um, what we call beacons of hope are responding to and recovering from the crisis locally. Um, so their work uh, to address structural inequities creates space to build long-term resilience, showing us that a different approach to food systems can not only support economic revitalization and protect um, the most vulnerable, but also uplift community-based responses. And, and recently I had the um, great pleasure of, of meeting Haile and talking to him um, over the phone and hearing the story of the common market. And it is the sort of uh, sharing of these stories um, uh, across communities that um, is so powerful and can kind of reweave um, our food systems. Um, I've been deeply inspired, for example, by the Community Managed Natural Farming Program in Andhra Pradesh, India, which is scaling up and out natural farming, building local food networks, and finding creative ways to overcome the challenges presented by COVID. So there are a lot of parallels between the story that Haile um, um, just uh, spoke about in his work and Common Market. So at the Global Alliance, we're compiling and mobilizing diverse evidence related to ecological and regenerative approaches, evidence documented by farmers, researchers, scientists, and, and indigenous communities um, around the world. We're also um, engaging beacons of hope like Common Market and community, natural, community managed natural farming who are actively involved in transforming um, food systems in this kind of collective conversation about the future of food. So uh, how do we make, um, these stories, the norm, these practices, the norm, and mainstream food systems transformation. Uh, the Global Alliance recent, recently published a first look at critical pathways we believe can create a better future for the future of food. Uh, we've identified uh, seven interconnected calls to action informed uh, by really kind of eight years of uh, work, research, and convening um, and these calls to action have been elevated time and again by our partners and members. Each of them address the critical underlying structures that hold back much, um, much needed systems transformation. And all of them have been mentioned today by either a day, by Hailey, by Mark, by, by Jane. And I'll just mention um, uh, three of them that are most relevant um, to today's conversation. So the first is increasing public research for the public good, and supporting ambitious trans transdisciplinary, inclusive and systems-based approaches with an emphasis on indivisible ecological health, social and economic objectives. Um, and of course, um, Jane's um, work through CCRP is a great example of this. And increasingly, we're seeing interest in uh, um, Re revitalizing public research for the public good and uh, shifting those research investments toward regenerative agroecological approaches. Um, that uh, is coupled with direct, um, with a need for direct public sector finance and fiscal policy across the value chain toward ecological, ecologically beneficial forms of farming and better and healthier food and resilient livelihoods and communities. So time and time again, our partners describe why we need to break from harmful subsidies and perverse, what are really a perverse incentives and replace these with well-designed 
uh, and durable reforms. Um, financial flows need to be directed away from harmful actors and practices toward desired actions that incentivize, accelerate, and amplify food systems transformation. And then third and finally for today, um, create the need uh, to create enabling environments for ecological and regenerative approaches. And um, this includes agroecology, regenerative agriculture, and um, indigenous foodways that a day um, so uh, brilliantly described in terms of the, the history of that relationship to the land. Um, and this requires a whole systems approach that supports the advancement of ecological and regenerative um, agriculture, including a strong role for local institutions, highly described this um, really well, the role that local institutions and communities can play, the protection and expansion of rights. Internationally, this is really important, uh, taking a rights-based approach, um, public investment in supportive and complementary infrastructure, policy coherence, and coordinated governance with um, a greater role for smallholder farmers, indigenous peoples, and women. So today, World Food Day, um, it is important to be reminded that food systems transformation is happening and needs to be accelerated. The creativity of food initiatives and leaders around the world actively building equitable ecological food systems can show us the way. Thank you, um, and thanks, Mark, over to you. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Jane. This, this was a great kind of overview. Uh, I would encourage everyone to check out the websites, you know, Common Market uh, and with McKnight Foundation, Foundation for Future of Food, the Global Alliance for the Future of Food. Um, there's some great information there. I think one thing I just wanted to close on by saying is just how it strikes me that I started my career as an environmental engineer and I was looking at nitrates in water and how that transported through the landscape. And that is crucial work. That is very important work. And each one of you that's on the panel, and I'll include Mark Ritchie in this, who I met almost 25 years ago, uh, how important each of you were into broadening my horizons and realizing that it, it is important work that's happening there and there's so much more that has to happen. So I just, I truly just wanna thank you as, as friends of mine for everything that you have provided me and what you're providing for the global community with your work. So thank you, I, I'm thrilled with this panel. I really appreciate it. And I'm gonna hand it over to Mark Ritchie. What a fantastic panel, and this is one's going to go viral. I can tell you people are going to be passing this around because the message just fit together perfectly. Thanks to all of you to what you did today, but for what you do each and every day, it was a incredible kind of taking our brains into the future, taking our hearts into the future, taking our minds into the future, and giving people some inspiring ideas. Not that it's not gonna be hard work, but it was an inspiration for all of you. There are gonna be some social hours at the end of today, 5.30, so we'll quit about 5, 5.15, but 5.30, digging into different parts of this. And I wanna urge everyone watching, uh, you know, go check out the website. You've got a couple of emails, but you can go to the Global Minnesota website, go to the World Food Day, go to the agenda. But we need to keep this conversation going. And I think um, part been part of the message of all day long. But today we got a booster rocket lift into thinking more broadly, more carefully, more respectfully, with an emphasis on learning from each other, but also from learning from those who come before us. 
and being careful and cautious about who will think of us as their ancestors. Will they think of us as good ancestors? All of you gave us a footpath and a map for being those good ancestors. Thank you for doing that for us today. Thank you very much.